Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. Welcome to Antioch. If you're a visitor or relatively new, we love visitors. And uh, like Patrick said, we kind of like you, so we kind of hope you like it here. And if you don't like it here, we do sincerely pray that you keep searching until you find a good church home, because we need to do this all together, and we want you to find a good church home to walk through. Um, I want you to take out your Bibles or something to take notes with. We'd love to say around here, we are a Bible-believing, note-taking church, always coming with high expectation that God is going to share something with us that is worth remembering and maybe even writing down. Um, before we start, I, I chose this light shirt, and I just want to make a comment. It's already showing how warm I am up here. Don't worry. I am well hydrated. I just, I just perspire a lot. Some doctor's going to tell me that's going to be because we age. How many times I'm starting to hear that? It's offending me a little bit. The, the, do you know that about, this is like five years ago, I checked into a doctor's office, and they weighed me, and they measured me, and I walked back, and they took me back to a waiting room, and the young nurse, who was like 13 or 14, <laughs> took me into the room, and she looked at my chart, and she goes, oh, well, good, you're not shrinking yet. <laughs> that was one concern I hadn't had yet. Now, <laughs> like, seriously? <laughs> And why did I just share that? I, I don't know. <laughs> Apparently some cleansing was needed before I could preach. So I repent, Lord, and now we're ready. We are in the third week of our series in Hebrews. The titles of our title of our series is Who is Jesus? And the title gives the very purpose of the series. A deep, deep, deep dive into all that we have in Jesus Christ. The purpose of the letter of Hebrews was to encourage and to warn a people who were struggling. Hardships, sufferings, sorrow, persecution was very present in the church, in the young church by this time. And some were beginning to question out loud, is it worth it? Can I stay with it? Should I stay with it? Some were opting to leave the faith. This letter is written to those believers to encourage the, encourage the readers to say, yes, yes, it's worth it. And to warn them the alternative of drifting away, of falling away, is all something that always, always leads to sorrow and destruction. Anything that will take you from me will always disappoint, always lead to sorrow, and always lead to destruction. We're going to do 13 weeks, one chapter each week. Chapter one was a literal fire hose. Andrew did the, uh, the introduction. By the way, if, if you missed any of these messages, it's, Hebrews, as much as any letter in the scriptures, builds on itself. And so you need to go back and take the 35 minutes just to listen to all of the chapters if you want really a good understanding of all that we have in this letter to the Hebrews. Andrew introduced the series in chapter 1 with a literal fire hose of the answer of the question, who is Jesus? The overall confirmation of chapter 1 is Jesus is the Son of God. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear that that title... That distinguishing separates Jesus from anyone 
and anyone, anyone who has and anyone who ever will walk the face of the earth. The writer of Hebrews makes it really clear on what this title separates actually Christianity from every other world religion. Son of God is not just a title. It is a proclamation of holiness. And only God is holy. It's a proclamation of power. It's a proclamation of salvation. It just goes on and on in the contents. Jesus and only Jesus carries the title as it is understood here as the son of God. Sam then did a great job in chapter 2 in the confirmation that Jesus is our Savior. It actually builds on the concept that Jesus is higher than the angels because they worshiped angels at that time. And so Hebrews 2 starts with Jesus being higher than the angels. So he's the son of God. He's higher than the angels. And it builds to the conclusion that he is the Savior. And that, once again, separates Jesus from everyone and everything Except the Father, God the Father, and except God the Holy Spirit. That title separates him from everything else except God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. While I may be able, although difficult and unlikely, to forgive your sins against me, it'd be difficult, maybe even unlikely, I cannot forgive your sins against others. Jesus made the proclamation to forgive all our sins, our sins against others, our sins against ourselves, and even our sins against God. Everyone in that day knew that him claiming to forgive others' sins was a proclamation and a declaration that he thought he was God. It made him equal with God. This week, we move forward to chapter 2. Please stand with me. I'm sorry, chapter 3. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. And I'm going to give you a caution. I've decided we're going to read the whole chapter. So settle in and listen for the part that jumps out to you, please. Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a holy heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, but just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the days of trial and in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me and they tested me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they will always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my heart. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today 
so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end while it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for the 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Let me pray. Lord, that is packed inspired, given by you from heaven. It is not possible for words to bring clarity to this. Only your spirit can. So come, Holy Spirit, and point us to exactly what we need out of these beautiful truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. As we have said and seen, Hebrews is both a letter of great encouragement and great warning. Last week in chapter 2, we saw a warning about drifting away. In chapter 3, we receive another warning. This time, the writer warns of falling away. Verse 12, Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, that we are not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The power of this warning to not fall away is concerning. When it's attached to from the living God, it sends chills down my spine. Don't fall away. Not distracted, I'm good. Don't fall away from the living God. This week, we'll begin to address the question, what do these warnings mean to us today? What does drifting away from God, what does falling away actually look like to us today? Maybe, maybe it's just about being saved or just being born again. This topic will actually come up in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is one of the most debated passages in all the scriptures on one of the most debated topics. The topic of can we lose our salvation once we've given it our hearts to Jesus? I don't remember who's preaching chapter 6. I just know it's not me and I can't wait to see how that's handled. But if making it to heaven is all we're concerned about and we're confident that we're sealed in Christ because of what we know of him and have given our hearts to him, then we don't have to worry about this chapter, do we? If it's just about salvation, if it's just about being born again, we don't have to worry about that. We have accepted Jesus as our Savior, so, so we're saved. We're good. I will not deal with the issue of losing our salvation today, but what I do want to say and what I do want to deal with today is the certainty that these warnings, do not drift and do not fall away, are not just about us losing our salvation. It's about much more than that. The writer is addressing much more than the question of whether or not you and I will be in heaven. He has much more to say to us than that. 
Because of that, we need to take and listen to these warnings. We need to listen with our ears and our hearts and be willing to ask, even if I am saved, am I drifting? Am I falling away? Am I missing him somehow? Am I missing some of what the living God has for me? We all need to listen to these scriptures with open ears and hearts to be encouraged or perhaps warned. Either will feel very loving from him and either will be a blessing. So here we go with chapter three. As Sam said last week over and over again about chapter two, there's so much here. This is, this is true of chapter three. And we'll see that in the entire letter of Hebrews. And so I'm going to grab just two major themes out of chapter 3, and that's where I'm going to focus. The first big idea of chapter 3 is the comparison between the Hebrews' greatest prophet, Moses, and the much greater prophet, Jesus. Verse 1 and 2, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. The writer begins by proclaiming that both Moses and Jesus were completely faithful to their calling. And that's where the comparison of the equality ends. From this part forward, the writer starts to separate and raise Jesus to his proper place. The writer goes on to say, for he has been counted worthy, speaking of Jesus, he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house is worth more honor than the house. Moses was indeed a faithful member of God's people. Jesus Although humbling himself to become a man who could be called a friend and a brother was never and will never be a member of God's people. Moses was a faithful member. Jesus never has and never could be a member. How different is the weighing and measure? That's kind of a horrible term, but how different is the weighing and measuring of Moses? You get what I'm talking about. How much higher above Moses is Jesus? Well, the second part of verse 3 and 4 kind of gives us some insight. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Well, to be honest with you, I read that comparison and at first it didn't do a whole lot for me. It really didn't. I, I thought, I have seen magnificent homes or magnificent structures and actually been in awe of them. And when it's brought up who built them, I kind of think, yeah, that's cool too. But they're both great. What changes that is the verse 4 really helped me. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. For some reason, when I jump from a structure to creation, everything changed. You see, I was recently at the Grand Canyon, and I looked in awe and wonder at that canyon. 
It's awesome, beauty and wonder. And in front of me, and it was so obvious, man can't do this. Never does man have any possibility. There is nothing or anything or no one that can do this except God. And that put it in perspective of what this verse is saying. When you think about creation, you see that it is impossible for man to do some of these things. And then, then there is awe and wonder for the creator himself. And he becomes infinitely higher than the creation. Okay, Jesus was better than Moses. This is not what this is saying. Jesus is not just better than Moses. Jesus is holy and completely different than Moses could ever be. This completely otherness of Jesus compared to Moses is driven home in verse 5 and 6. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son. One faithful as a servant, one faithful as a son. The comparison between Moses and Jesus can still get a bit anticlimactic for a comparison for us today. Because after all, we already kind of have settled in the fact that Jesus is above Moses. Jesus or Moses isn't actually a real present hero for us today. We acknowledge him as historically important to our faith, but he's not an ever-present figure for us. And so sometimes that comparison, it might fall a little short. And this is why we have to go back and take the context and hear it with the ears and the context in which it was first written to, to these people that were reading it. These were a people who were struggling, afraid, and shaken and considering giving up their faith. The statement and the fact that Jesus was higher than their Moses would have been life-changing. It was taking their number one hero and putting him way above that. And guess what they needed to know? That there was someone way above their number one hero. These folks didn't have the New Testament. And you can't look through the Old Testament without running into the great exodus. I'm telling you, go through it. It's the mark of God on his people. It's always referred to the exodus and all the things that happened. And Moses led that rescue. Moses faced off with Pharaoh, the world power of that time, and humiliated him. Moses brought the saving plagues and parted the Red Sea so that they could escape. Moses brought water out of a rock, quail from a sky. Moses interceded for them with God when God was going to wipe them out because of their rebellion. It was Moses who, who, who heard from the angels and brought the law down. To these people, Moses was the man. And Moses was the man. But a man couldn't do it anymore. 
And he wasn't able to do it for them. They still honored and obeyed Moses, but they were still struggling and considering losing their faith. As good as Moses was, something, someone much better, in fact, someone entirely different than Moses could ever be, they needed to know now, that one guards you. That one holds you. That one will bring you home. Jesus, Jesus himself knew that the people would need to know that he was far above Moses. In John chapter 6, he's addressing a group of people, and guess what he does? He elevates himself over Moses because he knows that's the man. And he says, no, no, no. That is the man. And let me tell you about me. In John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. I am the bread of life from heaven. Moses is over here. I am over here. And you need this. Moses was a big deal, the biggest deal, the reader's letter of this letter, but in their current struggle and pain, they needed more. And the better hasn't made you better. He's made you new. And he cries out, don't drift. Don't fall away. Moses was a prophet. Arguably, he was the greatest of the human prophets. Of, uh, not of the, he was the great. Moses was the, yes. I got that right. Because did you see what almost happened? I almost said Jesus was the greatest of human prophets. That was wrong. So I did say Moses was the greatest of human prophets. There, are we together? Jesus was indeed a prophet. He, in fact, referred himself to as, as a prophet. In Matthew 13, 57, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. Now, this title of Jesus as a prophet has been improperly used, improperly used to claim that Jesus was not the Messiah. You see, Islam holds that Jesus was a prophet. Judaism will grant Jesus as the prophet. In fact, most humanists, secular thinkers, philosophers will gladly allow Jesus to be a prophet. And in fact, might even allow him to be the greatest prophets. But this is why the comparison to Moses and the other prophets becomes so important in clarifying. Moses himself predicted a different prophet to come, a greater prophet to come, a prophet that would do something he knew he couldn't do. This man was about to give them everything that God could give them for that time, and he still knew at that time there's something greater needed, and there's someone greater needed, and he spoke of that even as he delivered the law. In Deuteronomy, the Lord will get, God will raise you up for a prophet like me from among you, from the countrymen. You shall listen to him. 
I will raise up a prophet, verse, go down to 18. I will raise up a prophet from among your countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them that I, what I, that I commanded him to. A prophet who would do what Moses could not do, Deuteronomy 36. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Moses brought the law and the sign of the law was a physical sign, the circumcision. And even Moses at the time of delivering that law said the law will not do it and the physical sign of circumcision will not do it. Something more will be needed to move it to your heart. Moses spoke of all this. He could not have been referring to the prophets of the Old Testament. We can see that real quickly because if you look at Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and guess what they're still talking about coming? This change in our hearts. Same thing Moses was talking about. So he's not just in the line of the prophets. They too prophesied of a salvation that was to come, a salvation of the heart. They could speak of it, but to bring it would take God's own prophet. To bring the circumcision of the heart would mean the Messiah had to come. In the line of the prophets, but much more than a prophet. I hope that's making sense. We read these words in our English language about the heart, and we often think about the difference between our hearts and our minds, our hearts and our brains. That picture is not complete. We sometimes talk as if, oh, the Old Testament law was of our brain, and the New Testament law is about our heart, what we feel and what we sense. That's an improper look at that. I should say it's incomplete. You see, the interesting thing is, in the Hebrew, there's no word for brain. When this talks about the heart, it's talking about, like, not here, but here. The center of everything we are, including our heart and our mind and our soul. It is now the circumcision of our heart, meaning it's right in here. It's even greater than the heart, the way we understand it. Jesus was the prophet, was to the prophets as he was to the law. He did not diminish him in either way, but neither was he bound by the prophets or the law. He was part of both. He fulfilled both. And he transcends both. And that's cool. Yes, Jesus was a prophet, but he was so much more than a prophet. Like so many of the titles for Jesus, son, friend, teacher, rabbi, they're taking our human language and trying to capture something that's not fully capturable. (laughs) And we need to remember that. We're borrowing language from what we have to try and capture something that's bigger than our language. And we get to enjoy the journey of trying to describe him the whole time because he's never going to be fully describable. Praise God. So the first major theme 
is the comparison of Jesus to Moses. More accurately, the incomparability between Jesus and Moses. The second theme, which I promise is a little shorter. It's transitioned into by the statement at the end of the verse 6. If we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end, the encouragement of the people of God to the people of God is hold fast. In the struggles, in the pain, in the sorrow that do come in life, hold fast. And the writer is acknowledging that the history of God's people is them not holding fast. The history is that they drift away, they fall away. The writer recounts that history through reciting Psalm 95 in this passage. Psalms are a big part of recording the truth of the living out of what the prophets said were going to happen. Prophets said this was going to happen. Psalms are a big part of recording that it all came true. Hardened hearts, provoking God in resistance and rebellion, trying God, testing God after the plagues, after the Red Sea, after the manna, after the water from the rock, they still did not honor him and did not follow him. After seeing God's outstretched right hand, the people still went astray. And then this uncomfortable and rather frightening proclamation from God. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And the result, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The writer of Hebrews is passionately and lovingly trying to prevent this from happening again like it has happened in the past to all the people of God. Calling out to us, don't let it happen to you. He cries out, take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. His plea, be careful, be purposeful, be resolute and carry faith and rest in all that you have received in Jesus. Don't fall away from the living God. So, the first theme in chapter 3 is the comparison incomparability between Jesus and Moses. The second theme, so many throughout history have missed it, drifted from it, or fallen away from it. Don't you? Those are the two major themes. And now to wrap this up, we must enter into understanding the fullness of the writer's warnings. Do not drift away. Do not fall away. Drift from what? Fall. From what? Is the writer speaking of only being saved? Because if he's speaking of drifting or falling away from Jesus did on the cross, is he only referring to that, to only Jesus forgiving our sins and securing us from heaven? Is all his concern is, will we be in heaven? As I said, the security of salvation will be dealt with in chapter 6. For now, I want to put this proposition before you. I believe... I believe that even if heaven was a sure thing for you and I, even if heaven is completely secure because of our knowledge and our dependence on what Jesus did on the cross, the writer would still have written every word in these chapters to us and every chapter of the letter Hebrews to us because this writer is talking about far more 
that Jesus gives us than just heaven. Far more than just heaven. I want to share an illustration with this. I got off a plane coming back from Ukraine from a person who knew me well, and I got this text. All this happened in text, and he's for sure a believer. First text, how long will it last? That's it. I texted him back and said, how long will what last? How long will what you experienced with God last after you got back? I said, it doesn't go away. He said, I wish I had that. I have to medicate to make it through the day. I don't know why I get up in the morning. And every night when I put my head down for the rest, I wonder what I did that day. I wrote an email to him. And then I called him. I said, I have an email for you. I've known this guy for 20 years. I said, I have an email for you. You're not going to like it. And I said, and I don't need to send it. I will hit delete or send. I just need you to tell me which. He said, send it in that email. I said, I think you're the rich young ruler. I have watched you for 20 years, Jesus, invite you into a relationship, and I've watched you for 20 years push him off. And then I went on with a couple paragraphs, and he called me, and he was offended, but he said this, I stopped reading it after the first sentence. He said, because you're questioning whether or not I was saved. Say his name was Joe. I said, Joe, could you read that email? Not once do I talk about salvation or have gone to heaven. Not once do I talk about being saved. And I said to him, my question is, if you're still saved and all that you said, why is that enough? Can I come talk to you? And we met for hours. But do you see the resistance are you saying I'm not saved? And I'm saying, why would that be enough given that you can't even make it through a day? Isn't there more than that? While there is no gospel, no good news without heaven, I'm going to invite the worship team up. While there's no gospel, no good news without heaven, the gospel, the good news is about much, much, much more than just heaven then it is. I will say that again to be, to be clear. Remove heaven from the gospel and you don't have the gospel. There is no good news without heaven. There are some things that only eternity are going to answer. And that is part of the good news. But it's not all of the good news. Not even close. And that should be great news for all of us. I'm going to state an opinion. And that's all it is for now, but I would contend that there's enough evidence in this opinion that it makes us least worthy of our consideration. I think the Christian world, and in particular the evangelical world, can become so focused on heaven that we lose much of the good news of Jesus. 
I met with a friend who had lost a brother, and I got to share Jesus with him for a couple of hours. And here was his comment. And I don't say this to compliment me, because I think most of you would have said the same things I said. His comment was this. You're the first one who sounds like they're following Jesus because you love Jesus. All the other Christians I know seem to be following Jesus so they don't go to hell. I'm not saying what he said is completely true, but he wasn't bitter. He wasn't judgmental. This was his observation, and we ought to at least consider, might this be more true of us than it should be? We at Antioch have adopted this statement. Salvation is an invitation, not a destination. We say that because we know that according to the scriptures, Jesus has purchased for us and freely to offered to us so much more than just heaven then. And we know that if we focus only on heaven then, we lose the endless gifts that he has for us the purpose, the power, the glory he purchased for us in the here and the now. And if we get too focused on heaven, we can lose our calling to be image bearers of God here and now. If we focus only on heaven, then we can surrender and lose our authority and our vocation that he called us to right here, right now. The writer of Hebrews is raising up the glory of Jesus and saying to all of us, to each of us, don't drift, don't fall away. Because the writer knows that uh, all that Jesus offers us here and now and the writer is passionate, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. Jesus was the greatest of all prophets, and in fact, wholly different than any of the prophets could be. The prophets cried out, come to God. Jesus cries out, come to me. And we get to. In Jesus, salvation is here and now. Salvation is available today. On the cross, Jesus forgave us our sins. And so we could have heaven then. And, and. Jesus died on the cross. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection offers our salvation that begins right now and lasts for eternity. Freedom. Freedom that the law couldn't bring, Acts 13. Unbreakable fellowship with the Father, John 14. The ongoing teaching, comfort, and power of the Holy Spirit in us, John 16. The defeat of every evil that would come against us, Colossians 2. The unsurpassing power and authority, John 14, and there's so much more. Life, life that is not available anywhere else or through anyone else. A life that comes in the exact opposite way that your flesh and this world will lead you in. And he says, come to me. But he will lead us into that life because he loves us and because he loves you. Drifting and fall away can look very different for all of us depending on where we are. For some, you've hesitated to take that first step. 
and give your life to Jesus, how long will you wait? For some, it looks like stunted growth. You've been walking in the same pattern for years and possibly decades. It's not a question of whether you're saved, but why is being saved enough? There's an invite in front of you. Isn't it time? For some of you, struggling, unfulfilled hopes, disappointment, pain, sorrow, maybe even from the church, for you, for us, listen to your shepherd. Listen to the voice of your Savior. When he says, believe in God, believe in me. Don't drift away. Don't fall away. To all of us, the prophet has come. He's so much, much more than a prophet. And he calls to each and every one of us, keep coming. I have so much more for you. I don't want you to miss any of it. We always have a chance for response at the end of a service. It may have to do with this message. It may not. But in any case, the altar is going to be open for you. We're going to have some of our prayer people up front. I'm going to pray. And then if you want, and I would say if you even have the slightest tinge to come forward, come and pray. Let me pray for us. Our prayer team will come forward. I'll pray for us. And then you can decide. And if you need it, please don't leave without it. Whether or not you want to come get some prayer with us. Lord, there's a lot of truth in this chapter. There's a lot being offered. And there's a lot of things that will keep us from it. And you cry to us, don't drift, don't fall. And so, Lord, for those who might need to come forward for the first time, I pray for the courage and the strength for that first step. Because after that, you actually promise to hold their hand and step with them. And Lord, for those stuck in a pattern, I pray that this would be a time that they would come and get bathed in the power of the Holy Spirit and break out of the circle. And for those of us hurt and struggling and wondering, is it worth it? Could we come forward for prayer and be told by you, not by the prayer, but by you, it's so worth it. Keep coming. Believe in God. Believe in me. We love you, Lord. And oh, how we need you. Amen.